a good morning. Welcome to the Driven Church this morning. If you're a visitor, we pray that you uh, have felt welcomed and we pray that uh, God would encourage you today. You know, today is Palm Sunday, right? Right? Uh, celebrating the, the, uh, uh, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. You know, and, and the people's response to Jesus, the, the palm branches, the declarations of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's a really, a really big moment uh, in, the, in the Christian faith. It's something that we, we have a tendency to celebrate uh, right before Easter and whatnot. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful uh, depiction of the effort of God uh, to save and uh, to deliver uh, his creation uh, through the life the, and the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, right? And so we celebrate that Easter is, is kind of the, the heart of the Christian faith. We really, really um, uh, look forward to this time of the year to really celebrate with the body of Christ and to celebrate what, what God did and what God is still doing. But the, uh, the beauty of it all really is in the beautiful tapestry, the weaving together of the whole heart of God, all the way back to Genesis, all the way through the Gospels, and then to culminate in the book of Revelations. And so we're actually in the, the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 7 of the book of Exodus. And what we're seeing in chapter 7 of the book of Exodus is the heart of God that is revealed even on Palm Sunday uh, uh, centuries later, and it's His effort to deliver his children. And uh, Easter is that same message. It's the effort of God to deliver you and to deliver me. Amen. One of the things that we as, uh, uh, as, as human beings need to acknowledge is the need to be delivered. You know what I'm talking about? I think that's one of the things that kind of stands in our way most of the times is we don't understand how lost we really are. And, and because we don't understand the degree in which we are lost, we can't understand the degree of how, how deep and how reaching is the effort of God to rescue us. And so um, we're going to look, we're going to continue to look into the book of Exodus, and we're going to see as God responds, and he does this uh, multiple times, as he responds uh, to the opposition, the opposition of his children, that being Pharaoh and the, and, and the strengths and the powers of Egypt as they suppress and still enslave uh, the Hebrew children, those being the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the chosen, the children of God. Amen? And so we're going to look at that. And before we even dive into where we're at this morning, we've got to kind of do a little bit of a, a quick review. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 7 where we were at last week, it is the first time that uh, a, a real confrontation takes place where God begins to exercise uh, signs and wonders on behalf of the liberation of his children, okay? So Moses and, and Aaron are directed to go in to see Pharaoh, and uh, upon engaging Pharaoh, uh, God uh, says to, or the Lord says to, to Moses, when he inquires of a sign, or a, sign, or a miracle, this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw the staff down. It'll become a snake. And this is one of the ways that the, the people of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. 
And so Moses and Aaron go into the courts of Pharaoh and certainly Pharaoh inquires of them of a, of a miracle or a sign because they follow through with what God says. They throw the staff down. It becomes a snake. And then what takes place? What takes place at that moment is that the magicians, remember last week we called them what? Magicians, because they were Egyptian magicians, right? And I said last week, and I'll do it again this week, if I were to say Egyptian magicians five times really fast, it could get really, really ugly. So we'll just call them magicians this morning, okay? As we did last week. And so uh, the magicians also throw down their staffs, but there's something that takes place in that moment. Though the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is his response to God's request, the staff that Moses and Aaron had brought to the table. Remember this? This was the staff of God. Remember, it represented the power of God. Consumes the other snakes. Remember that? But this is how it all shakes down in that verse. And I want to read it to you to kind of give you a smooth transition into the response of God, Kevin, okay? So this is what it says. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 through 13. It says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, right, and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. We touched on that and what that word actually means, but we'll move on. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You're envisioning this, right? You can see this taking place. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord said. That's where we left off last week. Now we're going to see God's next response and this is the introduction of the ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt by God as a sign as an act of love to deliver his children. And it wasn't just an act of love to deliver his children. It was an act of judgment against Egypt. And we're going to touch on that in just a few moments. So one perspective is going to be a a perspective of love. The other perspective is going to be a perspective of judgment. That's why when you read in Revelation, it talks about the great and fearful day of the Lord or the great and dreadful day of the Lord. For some, it will be great. And for some, it will be dreadful. It it is all determined by your perspective and where you position yourself in relations to who God is. Right? So this is what takes place right here. Then the Lord said to Moses, let's just read these few verses and then we'll go back and cover them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning... As he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile. That doesn't sound like an amusing proposition. Even using the term confront him. On the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. 
With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out. Stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the pools and all the reservoirs and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. I love that. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh. This is the confrontation, right? This is the confrontation. In the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's look at this. Exodus chapter 7. Pull that up, Clark. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, we're going to go all the way back. Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. When the scripture says that Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, some of your translations will say once again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, right? Some of you got a translation that will render that word um, as hardened again. This is the third time. This is the third time that uh, the word hardened, re referencing the heart of Pharaoh, has been used. But this is also the third time that the uh, th this is the third different word that is used in the Hebrew to express the condition of Pharaoh's heart. This time, the word that is using that is being used is a word called bold. And it means heavy, stubborn, or burdensome. What we're actually watching right here is this progressive decline of the heart of Pharaoh as he resists the request and really demand of God. Now, what is the application of that? Where are you going with that? Let me say this to you out of my own experience. When we resist God in our lives, Every one of us, man, every one, no one escapes this. When we resist God and his purpose and his direction in our life, you can bet your bottom dollar there will be a progressive, a progressive decline in the condition of your heart. The things that used to move you, the things that used to, to affect you, the things that used to turn your heart uh, towards home no longer have the same impact on you when you've placed your hand up and you have resisted the expression of God in your life. Pharaoh is no different. The scripture says at this moment, if you remember the first word literally meant to strengthen his heart, meaning basically to give him over to the condition that his heart was already in. Remember that? The next word when it was expressed in regards to heart, it literally meant to, to sever or to make it fierce, 
where his response was almost a, a volatile type of response. Now it's, it's, it's becoming a burdensome, a burdensome heart, a heavy heart, a stubborn heart. And you, start, you just see this thing, this metamorphosis taking place as it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I, I will say this to you this morning. It is recognizable. You think no one can see it, right? You think you're doing a pretty good job of hiding the deteriorating condition of your own heart. You think you can mask it pretty well. No one will really notice that I'm not quite as intense with the fervor of the love of God as I used to be. You think it can be hidden. It cannot be hidden. Fishing can't be hidden. And we fool ourselves to think it can be. Obviously, it can be hidden from God. But it can't be hidden from others either. People see, people notice, people recognize. When you're hot and intense for God, your fervor, man, is, is burning at the highest spiritual temper that it, that a temperature that it possibly can, and when it's not. It isn't just your husband or your wife who recognizes it. It isn't just your children who sees it. Those in your life see it, see this. They witness this. Your coworkers see this. The people that you entertain see this in your life. And so I would say to you, because I don't want you to be in that place, do not. And I don't know why you would, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know why I do. It makes no sense, right, to resist God, Reuben? What sense, what sense does it make to resist a God who absolutely loves you in a manner that's almost indescribable? And yet we look at that love and we want to resist it as though he can't be trusted. It's foolishness. Just absolute foolishness. And Pharaoh responds in a very foolish manner. And God identifies this and brings it to Moses' attention. And he says, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. And this is what he says to him. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Now this is a simple command, isn't it? Go. Go to Pharaoh. This isn't the first time he's encountered Pharaoh. Right? He's already, he, he's already had, this, he had the initial inquiry of Pharaoh that was rejected. And then he had the snake response. Remember the, what we just read? And so he's being told, now go again. A simple command. But this involves an element of timing, doesn't it? It didn't just go. There's something else to this. He says this. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Now, a lot of, a lot of uh, theologians would suggest that the reason that he would have him go in the morning is because Pharaoh and his courts would be gathering around the Nile. We'll get into the, the deity expression of the Nile, of the Nile and the god uh, Hopi is his name. Who uh, the, Nile, uh, the god Hopi is a, is a deity that uh, they connect to uh, um, the, the river Nile or the Nile River, and, uh, and so in, in the culture of Egypt, they're a very pantheistic culture, meaning they worship multiple gods, multiple gods. And Hopi was one god, the god of the Nile, and, and, and many theologians believe that Pharaoh and others would gather around the Nile in the morning to worship him. And so God says 
to Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. That is significant because in my own life, there's been many times where God has given me direction that was time sensitive. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in that moment where God wants you to do something? And man, the timing of it is essential. There's times when we don't recognize that the timing is, is, is essential. And then there's other times that we know beyond any shadow of a doubt. There's been times in my life where God has had me do something. And when I got there to do it, the whole picture just became unveiled. And I was like, oh my goodness, had I not come at this given moment? I remember a situation arose, and, and, and some of you guys have heard this story. We had taken up a, an offering. We were going to help a, a pastor. I remember this. And I remember uh, we could, I could have taken this offering. I could have given this gift to this, this family at, at any time. But I remember uh, uh, giving, uh, having the gift given to me in an envelope. And I go to this individual's house on a, what I thought to be an insignificant afternoon. And I drop off this gift. I meet this individual. And the individual ends up reaching back out to me in a couple of days. And he says, I just want you to know something, Trent, about that gift you delivered. He said, my daughter who lived in Indiana, several hours away from us, had a miscarriage that night. And he said, I'm telling you, we did not have the resources to get there and to be with them. We didn't have the means to even put gas in our car to make the drive to where she was at, to be with her, to comfort her. That gift that you guys gave came at just the right moment. And so there's times in our lives when God is leading and commanding us to do a given thing that time is essential. It's absolutely pertinent. It is something that we have to understand that there is no time to delay. I often wonder how many times I've missed the hand of God moving in an incredible way simply because I've put things off. You know, have you ever been there? Where God had told you, hey, go do this. Go give this. Go be this. And then we kind of mask it. We mask it sometimes. We mask our disobedience in this contemplative prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Well, let me really pray about it. When we know deep in our heart God has already spoken and we need to move, but we're so uncertain, so fearful, that we'll kind of mask it in, in some sense of phony righteousness and we'll say to ourselves, well, let me really pray about this. Let me seek God about this. Let me be really sure. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been there and done that? Hoping that someone else will pick up that mantle and deliver Someone else will arise, will arise or arise to the occasion and be a vessel and be used by God in your place. Have you been there? Matt Chandler said one time, and it sticks with me. Matt Chandler said one time that delayed obedience is still disobedience. You know what the scripture says about responding in a timely fashion? You know what David says? In Psalms 119, verse 60, he says, I will hurry without delay 
to obey your commands. I want that to be my heart. I want to say to God with everything in me that I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Is that your prayer this morning on Palm Sunday? Is that something you could pray? Is that something you would want to pray? God, give me a heart that's so resolved that I will respond in a speedy manner to obey the commands that you give me. And I will not hide behind the mask of a pretentious prayer life, supposing I do not know that you have given me a command and I must sort it out. Mm. And this is what he says. He says, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile. That in itself, you know, we could park there, this confrontation. And this is what he says to him. And take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. This is really good right here. He says, I'm sending you out and there's going to be a confrontation. Don't go without the power. That's what he's saying right here. The staff represents the power of God. All you have to go back and look into Exodus chapter 4 and so forth and so on. The staff represents the power of God. And God tells Moses, take it with you. And he's saying to him on that morning, listen, you're going into a moment of confrontation. You're going on behalf of me. You need my power and my influence. Listen, let me say this to you. We don't have to be privy to a confrontation coming in our lives to assume that we need the power of God with us. Let me say this to you. Confrontation comes in a lot of different ways, packaged in a lot of different forms. Confrontation is taking place every day in our life. When we feel the resistance of the adversary to hold our tongues as opposed to speak the name of Je When you go to Walmart and you have the opportunity to witness to someone and you're a little apprehensive and you're a little fearful, this may not be the place that God is calling you to turn aisle 12 into a church and you're like, ah, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to. That's confrontation. And if you're not carrying the staff or the power of God with you, you will yield in that moment. Yield to the pressure, to the You will you will lose that opportunity. And God is saying to him, I'm sending you out here. I'm letting you know what's coming. Be ready. Be ready. Now, if you knew, if you, had, you, if you knew a confrontation awaited you, and we all experience this, right? Man, you'd wake up that morning. You'd be sleepless that night. You'll wake up that morning, man. You'll be prayed up. You know, you know, I mean, this thing's coming. I got to be ready. I got to be in the spirit. You know what I'm talking about? I got to be prayed up, man. Whatever it takes. I got to be prepared when this confrontation comes. I got to be, be prepared to engage it on behalf of the kingdom. Right? That's how we would respond if we knew the confrontation was coming. The confrontation's coming. I'm telling you that. It is coming. I just, that's what I, the point I just made. It is coming. We, we literally need to arise each and every day with a mindset that I must be prepared. I must be 
walking full of the Spirit, the knowledge of God's Word. I need this in me. So when that time comes, I might be able to handle it in a manner that honors God and brings glory to Him. We, I worked at you know, manufacturing for 25 years. As a matter of fact, I, there's a young lady here this morning who worked with me. Jeff worked with me. Angela worked with me. Uh, some would debate whether I worked, but I did work, and you know I worked. Okay, I worked uh, for this, this company for 25 years, and there was one of, the, one, one of the things that used to drive me crazy about working in this company, when I say this, every one of these guys in here will say, that's true, that's true. We used to have these, what were called uh, 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 the lights, what were the maintenance lights called, the andon lights, right? And so you could, you could hit these little lights, and, and uh, if you needed maintenance, if you needed whoever you need, all you had to do is hit these little lights, and there would be an andon board, and it would show up, and it would identify where the place of need was, and then maintenance or whoever would respond in accordance to where the location was. I cannot tell you how many times an andon light would be hit, and it would be red flashing. Maintenance. We need maintenance. We have a mechanical issue. I cannot tell you how many times a maintenance man would arrive on the scene. And most of them, they, these are nice guys most of the time. Most of the time. Nice ladies most of the time. But too many times they would arrive on the scene and they would say, well, what's going on? And you would say, hey, we're having a mechanical issue. This is broke or that's broke. And they would say, well, let me go get my tools. <laughs> well, where are your tools? I left them up in the break room. Or I left them over in the maintenance shop. I'll be back in 20 minutes. I'm telling you, you used to infuriate me. I'm like, what good is a maintenance man without his tools? You can't do the job of a maintenance man if you don't have the tools to do it, man. What good is a child of the king who doesn't walk in the power of the king, who doesn't walk under the influence of the king, when you arrive in those confrontation moments, those moments of confrontation, and you have nothing to bring to the table? You're as useless as a maintenance man without a tool belt. And believe me, the spiritual end on lights are going off, left and right. And it's incumbent upon you and I to arrive in that place of need, prepared to deal with that. God tells Moses, take the staff with you. We're going to move, let's move through this. Verses 16 through 19, check this out. Then say to him, this is the Lord, after he says, take the staff, he says, then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go. The message in changing, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened, this is what the Lord says. Check this out. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Now listen. You understand what God's wanting to he, he wants them to know. He wants them to know at the end of this thing who the Lord really is. Are you with who Jehovah is, who Yahweh is? 
Remember, they had already introduced Yahweh to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to him, I don't know him. Well, he's about to know him. And that's what he says right there in that scripture. Because I just told you about Egypt being a pantheistic culture where they worship gods all over the place. I'm going to tell you what's taking place in this scripture in the book of Exodus. There's ten plagues. And each of these ten plagues deal with one of these deities within the culture of Egypt. Do you know why this is taking place? Because there's one thing right off the bat you and I have got to understand about who God is. And that is this. God, our God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Yeshua, Amashiach, that God, the God, our Father, that God is a God who will not share the throne with anyone. I mean no one. As a matter of fact, and matter of fact, God wants our total allegiance and he will not share it, period. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, this is what God says. The very first commandment, this is what God says. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who delivered you, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the heart of God. And now he's saying he's going to know who I am. Not only that, when we go into Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, we understand what's really motivating God, or at least another factor that's motivating God. It isn't just the deliverance of his children, though that's on the forefront. There's something else that God is doing here. When you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, on that same night, and he's talking about the Passover. He's talking about the, 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 the plague, if you will, of the firstborn. And this is what he says, and you can read it. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. What does he say? I am the Lord. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And then he signs it, I am the Lord. God, and I want you to get this, God isn't down with idol worship. You know what? And that's what, that's what he's dealing with right here. Now, you and I, we, we don't have idols sitting around our house. Do we? we don't have statues. We don't have things that we worship and whatnot. But in our culture, there are idols within the church. And I, I'm telling you, over the last two or three years, they've become more and more obvious. Right? Right? And when I say an idol, let, let me give you a little definition of an idol. Anything out there that influences or directs your life with greater importance than the Word of God. When, you're, when you have things in your life that has given you direction or guidance that trumps the Word of God, that thing's an idol. And you say, well, what are you talking about, Trent? All right, I'll give you a little quick example. Your political views. You know what I'm talking about? You're either on a donkey or you're on an elephant, right? And when you allow your political views to have a greater impact and influence on the way you conduct and live your life, your political views are an idol. When you're willing to abandon what God's word says, what God's word directs, 
to embrace any given political view, you're in a bad place, man. You want me to tell you another idol that's come to the forefront in our culture today? Race. Our whiteness and our blackness and any other race you want to include. When we look at racial agendas in our culture and will compromise our positions on biblical matters to promote given agendas that are racially influenced, our race has become an idol to us. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I, I, I'm talking about white people. I'm talking about black people. I'm talking about Hispanic people. I'm talking about Asian people. I'm talking about anyone who allows race to trump God's word. Race has become an idol to them. God, God won't stand for that. I'm telling you, it will not work. You know what else has become an idol? Our traditions. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I'll, I'll do certain things. The way, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way uh, uh, Grandma done it. That's the way Dad done it. That's the way I do it. That's the way my kids are going to do it. It's just the way we're going to do it. Even though the Scripture clearly teaches it's error. We've got this huge traditions idol set up in the middle of our house and we worship that thing because we embrace that at the loss of obedience to God's word. And then, hey, hey, we, we, you know, you know, we've let our relationships become idols, haven't we? Come on, you know this, right? You know this? We compromise for approval, to avoid conflict, confrontations, to garner favor with man while forsaking God's word. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you're at work and you're in that moment with conversations taking place, and you know God wants you to speak up. But you know if you speak up, that promotion may not be yours. You know if you speak up, you may be on the downside of the popularity scale. You know if you speak up, you're going to be ostracized. And so instead of doing all of those things, instead of speaking up and, and embracing all of the, the kickback, you remain silent. And relationships and the approval of men, the applause and accolades of others, just becomes a huge idol to us. Hmm. And this is what the scripture says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood, and the fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Hmm. I just told you about the, the deity, the God they called Hopi. And he was basically a fertility God, a, a God of nourishment. He was, a, he was, he was the image of Hopi, was, was a heavy-set man with the breast of a woman. And when God is done here with the Nile, Hopi will not be happy. Right? That much is true. 
Then the scripture goes on. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled or stunk. Some translations will, will be rendered or stunk. So bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And you're reading this account of this first plague and you're thinking, surely to goodness, God demonstrating his power like this is going to change the heart of Pharaoh, change the heart of the Egyptians. Man, his people will be worshiping by that afternoon, right? God doing all that, surely to goodness their eyes will be open. That's how we respond when God shows himself, right? That's how you respond, right? When God shows himself, you change, right? We do change, don't we? I have seen God do great things to rescue people from their own self-inflicted calamities. Great things he's done, including me things in my life, only to have them reject God on the other side of the calamity. You're like, man, God just done a wonderful thing in his life. That's going to transform him. God just done a wonderful thing in their marriage. That's going to transform, that's going to transform them. God done an incredible thing in his finances. That's going to transform the way they view that. And you think that would be the response. But just like Pharaoh in most of our lives, it's not necessarily the response. The assumed response that you and I would think would take place doesn't typically take place in our life and doesn't typically take place in the scripture either. And it doesn't here. The effort of God to love and express himself, to show his goodness is typically brushed off not valued or considered to be worthy of a life change. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. Each Sunday, each day, people are confronted with the truth of God's word, aren't they? In many ways. And I've seen weekend after weekend, Sunday after Sunday, where God's word has been shared, where the influence of God's presence was so real and so tangible. And I've seen people respond just like Pharaoh. As he turned and went to his palace, we turn and go to our homes. He did not take it even, he did not take even this to heart. And as we turn to go out those doors, to get in those cars, to leave that parking lot, nothing that has been said, nothing that has been sung, nothing that has been shared is even taken to heart. 
And we go out there on 100 Hobson Way. We take a right on the Bankview Drive. We connect to Dixie Highway, and we go on with life as though nothing had happened. There's a part of me that wonders, how? How does that happen? How does that happen? Then the scripture, we're closing with this. Then the scripture says this here. It says, instead he turned and went into his palace and did not even, did not take, and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians, check this out, dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. They had to access subterranean sources, you know? They had to dig it up, man. And here we are, Palm Sunday, the good news of Jesus, his entry into Jerusalem, the gift of God to be hung on a cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb at the hands of people that God had died for. Here he is presented to us, the true living water. And you know what we do? You know what I've done in the past? I've turned away from that living water. And I've grabbed a spiritual shovel, man, and I've just dug and dug and dug looking for subterranean water supplies. Water supplies that will never satisfy. You know what Jeremiah says, the prophet Jeremiah? The weeping prophet, he's known as the weeping prophet. You know what he says, Greg? In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, their own wells, broken cisterns, broken wells that cannot hold water. And here's the picture. This is the picture. I want you to get this. Here is Jesus, as he said to the woman at Jacob's well, drink of this water, and you'll never thirst again. The live, come and drink. And you know how we respond? I'm not that thirsty. I'm not that thirsty. I'm not that thirsty. I'm not that thirsty. And I don't know how it's done. I don't know how it's done. And yet, it's done, it's done constantly. And we leave places like this with blistered hands that have held shovels that we have dug for our own water our entire lives.
blistered hands. Well, the whole time, Jesus is saying to you and saying to me, come and drink from the well that I never run dry. Stand with me this morning, if you would, please. Carrie, would you come just for a second? Jeremiah says it again. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. With their heads bowed this morning, I'm just going to ask, hey, I'm just going to ask you this morning, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and I just ask that out of respect for those who stand to your left and right and front and back. How thirsty are you this morning? How thirsty are you this morning? I can tell you, you look pretty tired. Digging has taken its toll on you. And you don't even realize it. The joy that used to rest on your countenance is no longer present. And it's obvious for everyone to see. Your heart used to respond. It was so tender to the things of God. And now it has become calloused. Like your hands from holding that shovel. But the effort of God is still present this morning. And His desire to deliver His children... In Exodus, is still present today. The vehicle is different. The vehicle, the conduit is different. It is now through the person of Jesus, our King, our God. He has given His life in exchange for your life. Do you remember when he's on the cross and his mouth had become dried and parched and he had become thirsty? He did that so you wouldn't have to be thirsty. You wouldn't have to dig your own sources, your own wells, your own cistern. He did that so he could saturate your life. with living water. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know each and every one of you. But what I do know is that God is calling this morning to some of us who have allowed ourselves to become a little calloused and a little dry, a little parched. He's calling us back home be saturated with living water. If that's your heart this morning, would you respond to him? 
Would you respond to him? Would you say to him, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of delaying. I'm tired of delaying. I'm, I'm tired of not arriving in those places of opportunity full of your spirit and missing out on those moments. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of turning my heart over to things, uh, giving my affection to things and taking my affection from you. I'm, I'm tired of being that person. I want to be all in. I'm tired of being thirsty and I'm tired of digging. I don't want that anymore. If that, is that you this morning? If that's you, would you respond to him? Not to me. Don't respond to me. I, I can't. I can share a bottle of water with. That's about the best I can do. But God can do something far greater. These altars are open. God is speaking. I believe God is speaking to people this morning. We're just going to give you a moment, just a moment to respond. A moment to respond to him in the name of the Lord.